Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. Fifteen years ago, my family and I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. We were doing ministry at a great church in Metro Atlanta, but we felt that God was stirring something in our hearts. As a matter of fact, my wife felt it first. She's usually more sensitive to those kinds of things, and I usually catch up a little bit later. But this idea that God had something different for us, that he was probably in the next season going to give us a change in ministry. So we prayed about it. We talked to some close friends about that. And then we started talking to people in different places around the country that ran different ministries. And one of those places that we talked to was here at Salem Alliance. Uh, Spoiler alert, we came. Um, And so we started sharing that with our real close friends. And they're, oh, Oregon's beautiful. I hear it's so green. And we're like, because it rains all the time. And then You know, we heard about the ducks and the beavers, and we didn't quite put together that those were two animals that lived all the time in the rain and the wet. But anyway, we we came, and we came out to visit, and God confirmed the call, and we looked at some houses. We bought a house that we were inside for like 10 whole minutes, and then we went back to Atlanta to kind of pack up and say goodbye and move out here. And that was such an interesting season for us. Because as our attention began to shift from where God had called us to where God was calling us, things began to shift a little bit. Priorities began to shift a little bit. Yard work was less important. Intentional conversations were far more important. And we began to look around at our house and everything that we had kind of with this critical eye of, we're going to have to box all this stuff up and put it in a truck and drive it across the country. Do we really need this dining room table and chairs? So we like gave those away. Here, you can have these. But then we'd find stuff, you know, the memories as a parent, you're like, oh, this is a stick that my daughter gave me for Father's Day that she like notched with a screwdriver. And I'm like, it's so important to me. Then you start to slip into that world where you're reading all these beautiful notes from your children. And I worked with students for a long time. So I was like, I'll store these up. So when they're teenagers, I have something to hang on to, to remember how sweet they were. And then the last youth event I did, actually, I played football the last week before we had to load everything up and move, and the pastor's son there broke my collarbone. It was like their parting gift. Leave us, will you? Um, And then I couldn't even pack. I couldn't even drive. Steve Dangaren drove me all the way across the country to get here. It was amazing. But as I've been reflecting on that season in our lives, even though it was short, it's kind of a microcosm of how I want to live my life in general. Because the expectation of what God was calling us into, the new season God was calling us into, was shaping the way that we were living where we were. Our expectation for the future was causing us to live intentionally in the now. And I believe that that's something all of us need to lean into. And that's the idea I really want to kind of break down this morning for us. It's this, that what we hope for determines what we live for. You see, our expectation for the future determines the things that we will pursue. 
Let me give you a few examples. If I hope for comfort, then I begin to live for the finer things or nicer things, and I begin to try and minimize pain and suffering in my life. If I hope for power, I live for higher positions and more money and places of honor. If I hope for adventure, then I live for adrenaline rushes and the next big thing in that feeling. If I hope for the ducks to be in the BCS, I live for next season. Yeah. Too soon. Those are all the Beaver fans clapping, by the way, because they're usually on the other end of that joke. If I have no hope, then I struggle to find purpose. And you've probably had a few of those conversations in your life. You see, hope is so foundational to who we are because it shapes what we go after. What we hope for determines what we live for. And so it's so significant we have to figure it out. We have to figure out the things that are going to drive our lives. We have to figure out those significant things that we can put our hope in. And I believe that we can live with hope. I believe we have reason to be hopeful. Even as we live, as we've been talking over the past few weeks, even as we live in exile, we can be a people that are hopeful. And we, as those who have put faith in Christ, have this extra hope that we can live with. And I'm not talking about a hope that just simply we want to just replace all of the bad feelings that we're feeling. It's not that hope comes in, okay, just be hopeful, no more fear, no more doubt, no more despair. No, but hope should begin to live alongside of those things. Because hope is what lifts your head when you feel like you're circling the drain. And so we need to allow hope to begin to bubble up to the surface of our lives. We need to be able to pinpoint some of those things that we can always hang on to that steer our hope, that determine what we live for. We're finishing up our series in the book of Daniel. We've done eight weeks in the book of Daniel, and the series has been called The Prophet Daniel's Fantastical Guide to Thriving in Babylon. We didn't want to oversell it or anything, but (laughs) it's about... It's about being faithful to God in exile in a hostile land. And it follows the story of these four guys that got ripped out of Jerusalem and taken to Babylon and forced to live there. And it's 12 chapters long. And the first half, the first six chapters, are this beautiful narrative. And Daniel and his friends graciously resist Babylon. And God honors their faithfulness. And they get promoted. And we're not supposed to just overlay that on our lives and be like, well, if we do what they did, then we'll get promoted too. It's not what the story's about. It's about God's sovereignty. It's about the guy's faithfulness. And then the second half of the book, 7 to 12, is this apocalyptic literature. God gives Daniel these visions of what the future is going to look like. So in the first half of the book, we have this beautiful narrative of fasting and the fiery furnace and the lion's den, interpretation of dreams and promotions. And then in the second half of the book, we have this, this weird fever dream, these crazy images of statues and beasts and persecution and war and captivity and death. Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> I'm glad you came. Aren't you excited? And the central kingdom, the central power in, in the book of Daniel is Babylon. And at that time and throughout the rest of Scripture, Babylon's an image of humanity uniting themselves in rebellion to God. Babylon is about kingdoms of this world being violent beasts and going into beast mode. And it's also about the beast mode that all of us are capable of. 
And so in the middle of all that, when, when we're living in exile, when we aren't home yet, when it feels like Babylon is winning, when the images that we see all around us tend to make us want to circle the drain, where do we find hope? What do we have to be hopeful about as we live in exile? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 10. We're going to be in chapters 10, 11, and 12. If you want to find it on your phone, if you brought your readers, you can grab a Bible in the pew, page 735. At this point, Daniel's in his mid to late 80s, and he's been exiled for over 70 years. And two years prior to this story, some of the exiles were allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Daniel didn't go. We don't know why he didn't go. We don't know if he was too old to make the journey. We don't know if he had a certain position in the city still. We don't know any of that, but we do know he was still faithful to God, and he was still praying for deliverance after 70 years. As a matter of fact, though, we see something rise up in him. We see this question at the end of the book of Daniel, Daniel 12, verse 6. How long will it be until these shocking events are over? Daniel, who has lived in exile for 70 years, who has seen these visions, these amazing visions, is like, God, how long till it's over? And maybe you found yourself praying that prayer. Maybe this one specifically, but maybe the first two words followed by your own prayer. How long? And we see it in Scripture a lot, David in the Psalms. How long, O Lord, until you restore How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle? How long, Daniel is asking. What he's really asking is, what hope is there? I've gotten visions of all these awful things. I've been in exile for 70 years. What hope is there for me, for your people, God? Why, God, do I get up every day and graciously resist? God, why should I even try to be faithful? My Babylonian newsfeed is just awful. It's horrible. Everything is bad. Will it get any better? The kingdom I live in shouts so loud at me to shape my identity by their cultural values. So God, how long will this go on? Because it's hard to live in exile. It's hard to live in Babylon. How long, O oh Lord? And he's not given a specific time frame, but he is given a hope to live for. He's given a hope that will shape the rest of his life. And I want to talk through three different hopes that we see here at the end of the book of Daniel. We want to end this series on a hopeful note. The first two things are things that we can hang on to, and the last one is a foundational truth that we should build our whole lives on. So Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 1. This is a long, we have three whole chapters. We're not going to read through all of it. We can't cover it all. It's the longest vision, actually, in chapter 11 that he receives through all of it. So we'll catch some snippets and kind of begin here in in chapter 10. In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time I had eaten no choice, no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. Who knew that dry skin was a sign of mourning? (laughs) But we have it right here in Scripture. On April 23rd, which is oddly specific, isn't it? On April 23rd, as I was... Anyway, it makes sense. The calendar, read the footnote. It'll all make sense to you. 
As I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze. And his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The, the men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide, like good friends do. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. And I want to pause there for just a minute because I believe this is the first thing that we can hang on to. This is reason number one for hope. It says it in verse 11, and then it also says this in the same chapter in verse 19. Don't be afraid, for you are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. And before we go any further, I want you to understand that this statement was spoken to Daniel, but this is God also speaking over each and every one of you, specifically you. Don't be afraid. You are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. You are very precious to God. In the middle of exile, in the middle of living a life that doesn't look like you think it should, in the middle of visions of beasts and living with people who just go full on beast mode. When we question the goodness of God because of the difficulty of our own circumstances, as we sit with questions that we have no answers to, when we think God's forgotten us, when we think God is mad at us, when we think God has better things to do than to deal with me, we need to remember that we are very precious to God. God sees you. He knows you. He thinks about you constantly. That's what scripture says. Look what Psalm 139 says. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. God thinks about us more often than there are grains of sand in the world. This past week, I tried to find out how many grains of sand there were, not by counting, by going to that valuable internet source that we always use. And scientists don't really know. They said the best guess we have is put a one and then 25 zeros after it. And that might be close to how many grains of sand there are in the world. So I got my calculator and I kind of figured out how many seconds that each one of us will live and then try to divide. And my calculator couldn't do all the zeros. And basically, here's the thing. God thinks about you tens of thousands of times every second. You, specifically you, are on his mind all of the time. God sees you. It says that in Genesis 16. It says this is a new name for God at this point in time. And, and you are the God who sees me. God is the God who sees you. We have a deep desire to be seen, don't we? It happens in children all the time. You see it. If you're a parent, you know this is the case. I saw it with my own daughters. It was always, Dad, 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 Dad. Hey, Dad, look at me. Dad, hey, Dad, look at me. Dad, Dad, Dad. Now they go, Dad. But back then, it was like, Dad, Dad, watch this. Watch this. Look what I'm doing. Hey, I can stand on one foot. Okay, that's great. Dad, Dad, look at me. And we don't, we don't grow out of that, do we? 
We just grow up and we do the same thing. We just use social media for it. Hey, look at me. Like me. That's kind of how we do it. But we have this deep desire to be seen, to be noticed, to be significant. God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He likes you. And we know that when, when we say God sees you, it doesn't mean that immediately everything in your life gets fixed and it's all better. But what it does mean is that you are significant to him. He is mindful of you. You are never forsaken or forgotten. That's reason for hope, number one. And we need to hang on to that because that could shape the way that we live. We are precious to God. Let's look at reason two. At the... Uh, End of Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 21. We're going to jump into this this vision here, this extremely precise vision. But it says, meanwhile, and this is the, the being that stood before him talking, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. And then chapter 11, starting in verse 2, begins this vision. Now I will reveal the truth to you. Three more Persian kings will reign to be succeeded by a fourth far richer than the others. He will use his wealth to stir up everyone to fight against the kingdoms of Greece. And then a mighty king will rise from the north and he'll conquer everything. And then his kingdom will be divided. And then a king from the south will rise. And then an alliance will be made. And this king will beat this king. And this king will beat this king. And then this king will sweep in and conquer everybody. And then he'll lose his kingdom and everybody else will swoop in. And then this king fights this king and this king and this king and this king and that king and death and war and persecution and pain and suffering and sorrow. I just uh, gave you a synopsis of chapter 11. If I were to give it to you in three words, I would say beasts and battles and bruises. It's the spin cycle, though. It just keeps going round and round. And as one king conquers, they lose it to the next king. And that's kind of how the whole story goes. And Daniel's learning that Babylon isn't the first and it won't be the last. And and there are specifics. If you want to do a deep dive into the specifics of this vision, it's amazingly specific. You'll see Persia. You'll see Greece. You'll see Alexander the Great. You'll see this king rise up, the worst of the worst. He's the prototype for the beast at the end of time. And a lot of people think it's this guy named Antiochus who who desolated the temple. He's the the desolation, the abomination that causes desolation is kind of how it's written out there. And he came into the temple and he said, you can't be a practicing Jew anymore. And he put up an altar to Zeus. And then he killed an unclean pig on the altar. And he would bring a Jew a day in front of Zeus and say, bow or die. And it was awful. But that was just part of this vision being fulfilled because that's the thing with apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature gets fulfilled and then it gets fulfilled again in kind of a different, bigger way. And then this is pointing to the end times where it will once again get, conf- get fulfilled in a confusing, bigger, different way than that. And that's just kind of how it rolls. Now, here's the thing. I do want to break down the visions in Daniel for you real quick with this chart. (laughs) We're just going to start up here on the left and kind of talk through everything. We'll be done by about 4 o'clock this afternoon. It's going to be great. Now, we don't have time for this, and you don't need to understand this. But if if you've gone in there, if you've looked, if you've read, and you have questions, you can feel free to email me at uh, rbasham at (laughs) salemalliance.org. Just all your questions, any complaints you have about the message even, feel free, just email me right there, and those will be taken care of. Here's the thing. 
what Daniel's discovering is, is Babylon isn't the end of the story. Human kingdoms will continue to come one after another. They will exalt themselves. They will succeed by violence. They will redefine good and evil. And so chapter 11 is just all about individuals and the collectives getting together and magnifying brokenness. It's an image of human history and the human condition, and Daniel sees that it's not going to stop. It's the spin cycle. It just keeps going and going and going. And as I read this chapter, the picture that came to my mind was a picture of these steps. Always going around, but never getting anywhere. And I think people who keep conquering keep saying, look, we're going to get better and better. We consistently go up and up and up and up. And Daniel looks at this and he goes, no, you're just going in circles. It's just this endless cycle. This is the kind of thing that would make you have dry skin, people. <laughs> That's the vision. And so the question that Daniel had is the question that we ask in this. What hope is there? What hope is there in the spin cycle? What hope is there in the just round and round and one thing after another? And I think we find it in chapter 10, verse 21. It says, meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. You see, this being is reading from a book, a book that God wrote. You see, God understands what's going on. God knows what's going to happen. And so reason number two for hope for what we have is, is a big idea that Rob gave us a couple weeks ago. It's this. When the world is in beast mode, God's original plan is still intact. God is still sovereign. God wrote the book. And spoiler alert again, I read the end of the story. God wins. God wins. And we can stand back and we can say, yes, the world is out of control. Absolutely. It's out of our control, but not for a second has it ever been out of God's. God is sovereign. How many of you have ever watched a, a sporting event that has been pre-recorded and you know the ending score? I've done that a couple times if it's my team, but, but only if they win, right? You're not going to watch the losing game, but you'll watch the winning game. Guess what? We're in a pre-recorded game right now. The book's already been written. God is sovereign. His plan is still intact, and this is our hope in the spin cycle, that it seems out of control to us, but God knows. God knows what's going on, and nothing is out of his control. Now, chapter 11 ends, uh, it says, at the end of the end, and the, and the beast is done. His time runs out. The beast is, is finally finished. But here's the thing. It's not just the destruction of the beast that brings justice or healing or hope. And yes, there is accountability, and all beasts must bow before the one true king, yes. But it's not just the destruction of the beast that gives us hope to, to put our lives on. We need to be reminded that there is a deliverance coming that is permanent and final and forever. And we see that in chapter 12 at the very beginning. It says, at that time, Michael the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. That's not the hopeful part, by the way. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. 
Those who are wise will shine as bright as the stars, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. This is our deliverance. You see, the deliverance isn't just the downfall of the beast. The deliverance is God raising up his own. That's where our hope lies. At the beginning of the whole story, the whole narrative of Genesis, we see man sinned and, and beast mode started and the world unravels as evil is unleashed. And with this evil, this sin comes death. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3, that from the dust of the ground we were formed and to the dust we will return. Our declaration of our own independence has resigned us to death. And so if God is going to deliver his people and God is going to defeat the beast and sin and pain and sorrow, then ultimately what that means is the defeat of death. You see, if sin came into the world and brought death, then Christ, to defeat sin, he will remove death. He will reverse death. The removal of evil is the reversal of death. Our hope number three, that's what that is. It's the resurrection. It's the defeat of death. And as we see, as we continue to read the story, it's forever with Christ. That's what we place our hope in. We place our hope in the resurrection of Christ, knowing that death has been defeated and we get to spend forever with Jesus. For all of eternity, we can't even fathom eternity. So often we live like this world is all that there is. So often we live and forget that resurrection is coming. And we feel like everything focuses on the now. A couple days ago, I attended a funeral for a dear saint of the church, an amazing lady who had an amazing testimony. And as I was talking to one of her close friends, she said we had her over to dinner. She knew she was going to pass away for probably the last four weeks of her life. And so we had her over to dinner. And everyone around the whole table is crying except this dear saint. And she started to feel guilty that everyone was crying on her behalf and she wasn't crying. And so she spoke up and she said, well, why would I cry when I have so much hope about seeing my heavenly father? that my hope is built on this resurrection. It's built on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Jesus is the first and all of us will follow. Physical death is not the end. Cemetery literally means a place where people sleep. It's not the final resting place. And so in Daniel, Daniel will bow down in death, but he will rise again in resurrection. He will stand up again in resurrection. He outlasts the Babylonians. He survives the Medes, the Persians, and he will survive death. And it's the same for us. And it does say some will rise to everlasting life, those who humbly trust in Jesus, who humbly put their faith in the promise of Jesus. But others will arise to everlasting shame and contempt, those who have chosen and continue to choose beast mode. You see, we've been given an immense dignity and freedom of choice, and with that comes accountability. And so Daniel's hope becomes our hope, which is the death of death and resurrection, because Jesus is making all things new. We see this beautiful poem in Isaiah 65. 
It's this language about what it's going to look like in the future. Because we put our hope in the resurrection, this is what we have to look forward to. Look, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. A couple of verses later, it says, I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will become vegan. But it says, which this next part I just love because I don't like snakes. Um, but the snakes will eat dust. Yes. And what that really means is just looking back, and you know where the snake first appeared in Genesis and this idea. That's, that's the death of death. Death was introduced, and that's the death of death. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is our hope. And I know we live in a world that seems like Babylon is winning. And I know we watch the news and we just want to crawl under the covers and hide from the world. And I know that, that the world is preaching a sermon at us as well. It's a sermon to be conformed to values and standards that maybe we shouldn't be conformed to. But we have a hope. As a matter of fact, we have a bold hope in resurrection we have hope because of the resurrection of Christ. We have a bold hope in our own resurrection for a renewed creation. We have a bold hope that the beast doesn't get the last word, that the beast inside of us does not win. And as we close the last chapter of Daniel, we can open the first chapters of the New Testament. And Christ comes on the scene and he says, this is it. The time has come. And that's where our hope lies. And, and Jesus didn't kill the corporate beast. He didn't just go straight to Rome. Actually, Jesus defeats the beast by allowing the beast to trample him. He took the pain and consequences of the beastly history of humanity and defeated death to bring the world into new creation. That's what he did on our behalf. So our hope as we stand in the same place as Daniel is the empty tomb and the risen Savior. And I would love for us to hang on to these hopes that we are precious to God. You are precious to God. And hang on to the hope that God is sovereign. He wrote the book. And even though we're in spin cycle, God knows how it's going to end. And he still sees us. And I hope we build our lives on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because one day we will be resurrected as well. Death has been defeated because of the work of Christ. And so I'll just give you a couple of handles to hang on to um, how hope can rise in our lives. First is just this. Remember that you are precious and seen by God. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to work for God's approval. Jesus did the work on our behalf. And if you would just do me a favor one more time, would you put your hands out in a receiving posture and just receive this from Daniel 10, 19, spoken over you. Do not be afraid. You are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. And remember, this is what God is speaking over. A second thing I would say is pray humbly for hope and understanding. We want to be a people who humbly pray for hope and understanding. This is what Daniel did. This is how the vision even started. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. 
humbly pray, God, help us to understand. God wrote the book. He knows what's going on. And as he speaks these things to you, a couple things are going to happen. Hope is going to rise in you because you'll see more and more how God is working things out. And also, Salem is going to become a city at peace with God as we begin to bring that hope to the city. And so we want to humbly pray for hope and understanding of what God is doing in these times. And lastly, I would just say this. Continue to put your hope in the resurrection of Jesus because that's its foundation. That's what we're looking forward to. And some of you in this room, most of you, I I feel like, have made this commitment. I've said, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you. And maybe there's some of you in this room who have yet to do that. Maybe you kind of have heard about Jesus but haven't quite done that yet. I was laughing at myself, actually, the the past uh, month, my computer, every time I turn it on, comes up with this message. Updates are ready for for you, right? And I always hit remind me tomorrow. Every day it comes up, updates are ready, remind me tomorrow. I don't have time to have updates in my life. I don't want my computer to run better. Remind me tomorrow. And I, I would just say this to you. I, if you've kind of heard, if, if you feel like God's stirring something in your heart, if you're wrestling to find hope, let, let this be your reminder. And not remind me tomorrow, but today. Today is the day of salvation. After every service, we have people by the cross who just kind of wait to lean in and listen and talk to people who have questions about what it means to put faith in him. And I promise you, hope will rise in your life. You're precious to God. He is sovereign, and we can build our hope on his resurrection. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for the beautiful narrative and the stories, and thank you for these visions, and thank you that we get to end on hope. And I just want to pray that blessing over this place this morning. I pray the blessing of hope. I pray that hope would rise in people's lives. I pray that hope would be found in circumstances that seem hopeless. I pray that rays of light shine out and faces get lifted towards you and hope spreads through conversation and through prayer and through generosity and through serving God, that this would be a place marked by hope. And we thank you that we can have that hope, Jesus, because what you've done for us. You are alive, and so we can be alive. And we want to live that way. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.